to Freshly Forever, a podcast that gives you fascinating insights week after week. Here's your host, Vai Kumar. Hey folks, welcome to this special episode on podcast Freshly Forever. Today I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Kausalya Nathan. She is an expert in adolescent well-being, women's health, and so much more. Hello, Dr. Kausalya. Welcome to the show. Hi. So I thought it'll be a great um, uh, thing to talk about adolescent well-being, uh, women's health, and, um, you know, in general about gut microbiome, immunity, and all those aspects today. So if you were to um, just start with what adolescent well-being is, because that seems to be becoming more and more significant nowadays, and why is it so? What are some aspects or areas we need to focus in this regard? I think that will be a good starting point for listeners. Sure. Uh, thank you, Vaidegi, for having me over for your show. I think it has been going well. I've been listening to your shows for since the time I think you initiated this concept. Oh, thank so, you. Good business. Yeah. So, yeah, coming back to your question on adolescent well-being. I think it's a broad topic to say where I think it's to it starts with hormonal aspect of uh, you know well being that's mm-hmm. the first and then the changes associated with the hormonal factors like the setting in of the puberty you know as we kind of call it following about the mental changes which actually you know along with it happens like you know how a boy or a girl perceive themselves as to be, you know, the the initial stages of an image, self-image formation happens during that stage of an adolescent. And also about, you know, the physical, mental, I mean, emotional aspect, you know, which is also changing and evolving and forming at this point. So I think this adolescent health is an ongoing process it can start as early as even eight, you know, and it goes on for some till even 19, you know. So though WHO defines adolescent as between 10 to 19, but I think you see it setting in even early, you know, where a little bit pre-adolescent stage and adolescent stage is something which is quite a broad, nearly I would say, you know, uh, the transition from childhood to the adult being adult you know that's the uh, transition which happens in them so i think we need to look at the hormonal emotional mental and physical aspect of their well-being at this stage because uh, you cannot put any symptom or you know any uh, any change is one particular aspect it's a group of things happening together uh-huh. at the same time where you see mental change you also see emotional hormonal but what comes first differs from child to child you know it's very different you know someone can have on you know the periods a girl can start with the periods first and then probably the secondary sexual development of the you know development of the breast or you know you know puberty hair or you know change in voice or you know it could be acne or emotional aspect of the hormones you know it varies with each child depending on the environmental factors the, the genetic components to this, you know, the setting in of puberty and also the food and the nutrition and the lifestyle that also plays an important part in this aspect of adolescent well-being. Okay. What is it that the teenagers in this phase can expect? What is kind of normal and what probably throws them off, you know, sometimes they may find it shocking, you know, that they are experiencing certain things. So if you were to categorize something as what is normal so that whoever listens to this podcast can feel comfortable about the changes that they are experiencing? Sure. I think uh, it's a variety of symptoms that a boy and a girl goes through and it is totally different. We start with the girls because I think, uh, you know, the whole puberty is always first, you know, is to do with the girls is what we all kind of think. But we'll come to the boys, how the puberty sets in boys uh-huh. as well. The first thing with the girl puberty is can be 
you know secondary sexual uh, you know uh, characters of development of uh, breast development or protrusion of the nipples it can be some pink kind of discoloration around the nipple area it can be you know uh, the pubic hair growth which can be softer or you know um, uh, you know it can be uh, uh you know silky to getting little more dense and darker so that's also is a sign and underarm you know the hair growth underarm and you know uh you know these are few of the you know puberty symptoms which the girls experience along with that's the physical aspect the mental aspect can be uh you know um uh, about the change you know just to kind of you know uh, to believe that there's a change Mm-hmm. so the awareness is there but i think to to accept the change is where the i think uh, most of the girls have that little bit of the difficulty about accepting the change or they feel scared that mm-hmm. you know okay meaning you know i'm going to get my periods or something different is happening in my body though she is seen in the society that it is normal it's not something the child wouldn't have noticed at all but when it's going first time into her or she sees some change in her it's not the first feeling of a liking that a girl gets to it mm-hmm. takes time and they need to process it in the mind and then you know i mean each girl takes their own time to kind of fall into acceptance of the changes which is happening in them the initiation the period starting of the first period can happen from you know 9 years or you know later usually it is from uh, 9 to around uh, 14 mm-hmm. but these days you also see as early as around 7 or 8 like a precocious puberty which sets in in girls for varied other reasons but this changes it can be you know the periods and then i also see a lot of girls experiencing you know white discharge before the periods mm-hmm. which is also a normal factor and uh, some of them you know they would have a discharge which is probably very moist and probably very jelly like discharge which also kind of they get scared thinking you know probably something abnormal happening in them because it's the first discomfort uh-huh. to start with it is a discomfort you know it's something they're not used to it's something discomfort and then they process it in the mind where you know what if you know i kind of my panty become wet or mm-hmm. what if you know my clothes kind of stain or all these kind of stuff becomes little more pressurizing on their mind mm-hmm. till they get adapted to it like you know going through at least 6 cycles to 12 cycles for a girl to normalize or to relate to periods as an normal phenomenon mm-hmm. so i think these are the changes which you see with the girls and emotional aspect i see girls cry each time they get the period it is not because of anything it's that acceptance you know mm-hmm. that you know that uh, difficulty in accepting the change which is coming and the most important is the peer pressure mm-hmm. the peer pressure is can be both ways some girls do experience or feel that you know okay i mean few of if at all you know i mean all the probably going in 6th grade or 7th grade girls you know they all talk about it because at least one or two will start first and it goes and the first one who kind of you know uh, sets in i'm sure the girl is going to talk about it or you know all those come by so for them i think all of them will not get the same thing at the same time so it's mm-hmm. going to be the different time so the peer pressure on them is either i don't want it now or why still that you know i haven't got it when she has got the mm-hmm. it can be both ends of the spectrum that you know actually i come across here in india where you know i see this spectrum and that spectrum where they don't want to talk about it you know until the whole kind of class girls have set into puberty there are few girls they don't want to talk about you know their puberty which is set in so freely so there is a lot of stress which goes in the girls mind it mm-hmm. can affect their academics or it can affect their you know uh, the concentration level or they go into mood swings irritabilities by and large is the fight with the mother which happens in the girl the, the the girls again you know fighting with the mother becomes a little more you know mm-hmm. a very common phenomena so these are the things which you see with the girls you know and the uh, transition of this puberty or setting in of the puberty as 
we may call it so but handling how to handle all this is something which probably we should discuss during this you know course of our discussion mm-hmm. and that's something that is very important for every parent to know how to handle this kind of you know situation when the transition is yeah now that you said that actually i was going to uh, ask you this what about the socio cultural side i think that's where you know all these come in right whatever you pointed out so how is it that we handle i know we are going to talk about boys separately but what about you know now that we touched upon the girls side of it you pointed out very nicely about the physical side the emotional side what about the socio cultural aspects and you also touched upon the cognitive side you know how it can impact their concentration and all of that so when it comes to the socio cultural aspects and also nutrition so what is it that we need to focus on i think uh, when it comes to socio cultural change it varies with i mean in fact in india it varies with different cultural sects you know so mm-hmm. it's very different you know every sector of cultural uh, aspect you know hinduism or religious factors or you know in christianity it is very different and you know islamic practices in india they do the whole thing different but in all this the common thread is there is an like you know unlike i think uh, other uh, countries european countries and western world i think indian scenario with the socio culture is totally different as you might be aware of i'm sure mm-hmm. you're aware of it mm-hmm. so this is very different you know first of all i think in my own family i think i know uh, you know one of my you know a niece she didn't want her mother i mean father and her brother to know about it mm-hmm. you know for a very long time like it was something which probably was her you know a stigma of insecurity exactly she didn't feel comfortable so she said you know i think if you want to tell my father and my brother and you know my grandfather i think i she would shut from all of us like she would just close the door and say i don't want to come out you know she so probably I, found it embarrassing too at that point i think she didn't know how to handle it it was a change and you know it also kind of came to her more on an unexpected time in her mm-hmm. mind you mm-hmm. know she had put her own timing to it and it didn't click so that was another factor in her mind playing too so i think these all is a transition it's a change the socio cultural aspect is very different from every kind of uh, you know country that in which all the environment sector in which the girl is being you know raised so that's a very different thing and that has to be dealt with high degree of sensitivity because we also see joint family culture still going on here in indian scenario mm-hmm. where the grandmother the rituals are very intense you know i would say compared to rest of the world so i think these all needs lot of mental preparation and you know mental kind of a thing but this also in those days had a kind of an impact to make the girl comfortable with everybody around you know because it was not a stigma for a girl to feel or to feel embarrassed about having a period so that was probably the idea those days where they worked on this to create that kind of and you know social uh, inclusiveness mm-hmm. you know once this happened so i think and that make it as a celebration instead of you know having to feel uh, like it's a Absolutely. taboo topic mm-hmm. true so i think that is that gave them that comfort and the confidence to kind of move on you know but yes i think that is one aspect of the socio cultural that you see in fact uh, there's also some other cultures here i notice when i go to hallmark and pick up you know uh, any greeting card for an occasion i notice that there are other cultures that celebrate it too so it was surprising to me it's not just you know like an asian culture thing or anything so i guess each uh, like you said each segment or each culture has its own way of embracing it in a in a different form but i always tell myself one thing as humans i think we all come together in in although we may do it slightly differently we all come together in some form or the other i mean like we just tend to do there is somewhere there's a common medium true, true. yeah 
actually uh, recently there was one of my client from bangalore um she's around probably 24 years mm-hmm. and the uh, first time i heard this from her saying doctor i think i am paying your fees uh, from the money the time i collected on her uh, what she said was my first period party oh she said i think you know that's a culture here too i didn't know there is a first period party to be honest i don't know how it works there <laughs> my degi but then you know that was something new to me because i didn't know i have not seen at least growing <laughs> up from uh, probably from down south as you know i think i have heard of first period party you know mm-hmm. i didn't know what that was and i believe that she told me i asked her more about it because i was curious and she said that has to be hosted by the mother mm-hmm. the mother has to host the party and all friends come and i believe they have to give some money some mm-hmm. so i didn't know that you know that you have a party and there is a cake which is been made and cut and all those kind of stuff which was absolutely something new and mm-hmm. i didn't know even it was existed i didn't know in india such parties exist because i have not attended one so far <laughs> you know like there's so much of a blend there so in terms of different cultures so uh, yeah the it's nice to know so i think it's important for um, the kids to feel good about it and embrace it what about the True. role of parents and other adults in society yeah. how best can we prepare them to face so, this yeah. change correct i think uh, i think the major role i think as i'm sure you will agree is lies with the mother because uh, the girl feels comfortable talking about it with the mother more than the father mm-hmm. so i think i think from the age of 6 it's very important to kind of uh, slowly educate the girl about the the physical part and you know what normalcy is and you know because i'm sure when the mother is getting a period she knows there's something happening to the mother you know because i think she, it's a monthly cycle you cannot hide it right so mm-hmm. somewhere i think the girl would a uh, kind of and would have kind of you know noticed that you know something different is going on or something you know she would have heard the word periods or all that you know is there now when it comes to parents there is a lot of emotional support and then emotional secured feeling that you know the girl with the girl is very important in uh, educating them in giving them the comfort giving them the mental space to evolve and grow and to question anything they want to in relation to her physical body her image and also this aspect of what periods is all about because i know at the a 4 year old girl i mean niece so she had come home and she watched that you know the ad you know the the sanitary pad ad on tv and she was around 4 and a half she wanted to know what that was and why that girl was jumping and why they poured blood and you know see they show all that right so why what is it you know but she knew there's something related to the girl mm-hmm. because only girls come on that ad and you can make out right that little thing you can pick up so i think it's very important in some form to open that dialogue and then you know have that conversation to keep them feel comfortable so that you know even from age of 7 or 8 you know they do carry a sanitary pad in their school bag at all given times that you know if there is anything they see they can always report to the teacher or you know or she can use this and then you know uh come and probably share this with the mother so i think it's more towards i think mother's role till then is what i feel because now it's all every mother now wants to handle it her way which mm-hmm. is probably very different you know mothers also handle like you know for example i would handle my daughter in a particular way my mother would have handled or the situation with me in a particular fashion and my grandmother i see how she had handled my mother so i think with the generation we all have our own ideas and notion of how we want to handle this so i think yeah that way i think uh, mothers i feel play a very vital role in this and in case they have sisters i think they are the first one to break the news <laughs> before the mother because i think they share the space and you know the conversation become interesting it becomes a girl's talk mm-hmm. you know, something more girly girly kind of a thing with it so i think if there are girls and in the family like you know sisters i think the best is through them and i think the right information should always be provided by the mother 
Okay. Plus, I think the role of the educational system, you know, wherever that is culturally, you know, that is viable. I think uh, sure. That I think also... it's already there here in India. I'm sure it's there in the US as well. Oh, it is. It is. It is very much here. And I think kids in like, like you said, that transition phase of you know, like when they get to the upper grades in elementary school, I think they definitely are uh, exposed to it, and uh, uh, they get to know about it. So I think when uh, the children come home and talk to the mother more than likely, you know, uh, the mother than anyone else, right? Or the sibling. I think one should feel free to have an open dialogue, like you said, and sure. that is going to facilitate um, the transition. What about the role of nutrition during this phase? I think uh, nutrition is a very, very important aspect of uh, this uh, puberty phase. And most of the time you would Uh, see precocious puberty or hormonal imbalance if there is a disruption in the nutritional component which can be environmental like plastics or using you know um, synthetic kind of uh, involvement with the food like processed and you know all those kind of stuff coming in so if there is a weight gain or childhood obesity you would see that you know some girls if they attain the ideal weight which can be before their ideal age will kind of uh, touch puberty so i think weight also has a uh, proportionate involvement or an uh, you know impact mm-hmm. on the menarche point of view so i think it's very important to from beginning to give them more on you know organic foods and not to kind of you know uh, put them through the processed part of eating which is a very i feel healthy eating can be cultivated Mm-hmm. i think uh, you know until you really show them the taste of sugar i don't think a child will still believe apple is sweet mm-hmm. you know i mean nobody today if you ask me what is a sweet the first thing can be a cake or a pastry or an ice cream nobody says apple mm-hmm. apple is still a sweet thing so it's about how you work on the nutrition from the younger age definitely makes a huger impact on the child well being and nutrition when it comes to menarche see i think and here i think we need to un- understand that there are a lot of hormonal disruptors from which can go into your system from the environment and food mm-hmm. which can be eating on kind of you know a plastics or using a lot of plastic items in your plates or in the form of bottles water bottles or you know some form of you know such things and also non stick cookwares are much more dangerous you know mm-hmm. the coating which again is a hormonal disruptor so it can also cause kind of an hormonal disruptions because of the environmental factors and the third is the stress so i think the childhood evolvement growing has to be as calm and as you know open and uh, free that it should be for the child to kind of evolve grow and then you know form so open channels of communication is important and also introducing healthy food um, habits right from the start yeah i mean openness i mean here is about uh, not to kind of put too many barriers towards a child wanting to do whatever like you know because they want to play in the mud or they want to kind of exercise they want to do some hand coordination something they want to do something craft or they want to do math- whatever mathematics they want to comb their own hair they want to dress up whatever it may be i think that space should be given under protective environment for them to explore themselves you know exactly. that is where i think uh, the mental the overall comfort comes in and the transition can be a little bit more easier otherwise they go into uh, maybe being introvert or feeling insecure and all those comes in when this is not created as a base for them to kind of uh, enter puberty oh very so nutrition well plays an important role and that needs to be addressed okay awesome back in a moment with our guest on fresh leaf forever what about boys i think we have talked a lot about girls and if we can 
focus on what boys can expect and how we handle them and what issues you normally see them experiencing yeah. yes boys again i think uh, their experience is totally different and uh, boys enter into uh, puberty a few years later than girls you know girls are a little ahead i think for boys usually it's 10 plus you know uh-huh. girls can enter at 8 but boys 10 plus you know slowly they kind of thing but for them to set in it is always 11 12 you know slowly but between the boys and the girls the boys once it sets in which can be 11 12 or majority of them see at the age of 14 that's in the 7th grade or 8th grade 9th grade you know you see a sudden change in them it can be a breaking of the voice that's something which doesn't happen to girls you know there's a voice change mm-hmm. which happens and then there is definitely as girls they also have the secondary sexual characters of you know the facial hair and you know the underarm you know hair growth and pubic hair growth happening and uh, they have acne some of them do experience acne mm-hmm. and there is a sudden spurt in the growth you know mm-hmm. it can be they grow suddenly very tall in the matter of 3 years they kind of you know attain the maximum probably their 60 to 70% of the height that they grow is attained during that period so they suddenly see a drastic change in their physical self you know mm-hmm. so whereas girls is slow whether all other breast development or the height it is a little slower for boys you see that spurt which is very sudden so with that i think and it it is again to do with the hormone testosterone like for girls it's estrogen balance here it's a testosterone and testosterone is again you know is a very very uh, tricky hormone because uh, when the sudden surge of testosterone comes you see anger you see energy you see you know uh, you know like as if like they conquer they can conquer the world mm-hmm. they are hyperactive they just think nothing can stop them they are ultimate you know that kind of a high it gives them that high that phase so they can get into anything like you know whether good and it can also be exercise fitness some boys channelize their energy into it because they like the the thrill of it the energy of it the drive the endorphin the effect which they gets in there and some of them go into smoking or you know taking on trying alcohols because they feel suddenly that they are big they suddenly feel they are an adult Mm-hmm. that feeling comes for the boys earlier than girls girls still they feel the waters they want to go a little more slow boys just jump because they don't think they just act so mm-hmm. they act so those things you see with the boys you know such changes but definitely there is a time lag between girls and boys girls are ahead and boys are slightly kind of few years later than girls i think here the main thing uh, that how we need to handle is i think rest of it can be spoken about they would know by then but the anxiety the anger and disappointment because if you if for example because of the anger like a boy wants something the mother doesn't want to give so the anger and the disappointment again clubs and it can disrupt the relationship you know because he I mean i'm sure the boy is not going to i mean ask for something fair but if there is any unfair deals which come in which is much more to be dealt with i think uh, the friction between the father and the son or the mother and the son becomes a little more intense during that phase but having said this we need to also kind of uh, share this news that they settle down when they are in their high school mm-hmm. so i think that's a good thing they settle down very beautifully i think most of the boys you would see they may not do so great in till they are you know the 10th grade till they are you know the a level the i think you call it what i think it's uh, a it's level like so, no it's um, uh, sophomore and junior year here so that 10th yeah, and so 11th think, yeah. grade phase but when they go to their you know 11th and 12th that's the a level i guess so i think they settle down and they score score well they are focused they know what they want to so 
you see a sudden thing. It's like sudden up down like that with boys, whereas with girls is generally slow and little on a steadier platform. So I think we need to understand that bit, and then probably I think give them that little uh, kind of uh, space and scope and room to talk to, and uh, channelize them on some physical activity mm-hmm. like anything you know to burn that excess energy. so that they can sleep better they feel calmer and their concentration can be uh, a little more uh, improvised okay and again i think the nutritional side of it applies to both boys and girls absolutely yeah. yes i think nutrition and lifestyle is definitely an important factor even uh, in boys i think obesity is something to be watched for and if the obesity in childhood boys in childhood if it sets in i think the testosterone production it can affect so the there could high chance of this estrogen testosterone imbalance where boys develop some you know something called gynecomastia like breast like uh, development mm-hmm. can happen in boys so which needs to be prevented so again to do with the nutrition of eating right eating healthy eating more nutritious eating more balanced and organic is very important along with giving them making sure that they're not overweight there's no childhood obesity setting in them because they can again disrupt the testosterone factors okay okay and i think that's a good um you know explanation as far as what boys should do what girls should do in terms of you know what to expect from them and how we can handle them and so on and so forth and if we were to just nail down and focus on um the menstrual aspect with girls say so many of them seem to um feel the premenstrual pain and like painful period so that seems to be on the increase with teens and more and more of you know hormonal correction measures like birth control pills are being used and especially western world you know like that is like a common prescription to set right female issues so what is happening in the first place how do we achieve a balance and um, again how can we support the teens when they go through this phase i think the first factor is to kind of you know record the periods and then note them probably you know have a tracking method to see mm-hmm. how many days once that the period cycle is forming in okay so the normal period cycle can be from 25 days to 35 days so mm-hmm. it is normal if at all you're having a cycle within that phase of between 25 and 35 that's normal mm-hmm. but if it goes more than 40 days like you know you're getting the cycle only once in 40 days or once in 50 days or after once in 60 days so there is no rhythm to the cycle and then that is the time that you need to look into what's going not right in the system Mm-hmm. i see first thing is their stress levels because children girls they undergo a lot of stress because they enter the, the the academic part of it it can be probably the academic pressures or can be the family pressures or that's a time where the parents keep them so busy like they want them to enroll them in qmath or into uh, bharatanatyam dance or some cultural or tuition classes or some you know whatever they have been packed so there is a stress which is there the hypothalamic you know ovarian axis where there is a stress which can cause this kind of a hormonal disruption second thing is the nutrition part mm-hmm. so the nutrition part is very very important where to maintain the cycle that could be iron deficiency anemia you know where there is an anemia which is setting in the girl for which the periods can get delayed you know so you need to correct that anemia factor by giving them more of green leafy vegetables or peanuts or peanut bar or flax seed bars or jaggery based some form of an you know unprocessed uh, uh, nuts and seeds and a you know, mixture of all that they need to focus on the nutrition to make sure that the ferritin levels the iron quotient is there on a healthy platform for them to make sure that there's no deficiency based you know uh you know change in the menstrual cycle and the third aspect to this kind of you know having as you said that you know they've been put on oral contraceptive pills to cycle 
to get the regularization. We need to watch out for polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm-hmm. There's something called PCOS, like, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome, where the ovaries get cystic and they may be getting the periods on a monthly basis, but that those cycles will be an ovulatory cycles, meaning there is no ovulation. It just the hormone up and down happening, the estrogen, progesterone, and it's a withdrawal bleeding. Mm-hmm. It's not a proper ovulation which probably happened and then the periods followed you know Mm -hmm. that normal physiology might get disrupted because of this factor called polycystic ovarian syndrome which is very common here in India as well you know so I think you need to watch out on these factors to make sure that the girl has got the healthy cycle and there is a rhythm and pattern to the cycle and these aspects are being taken care of in a proper fashion to make sure that, you know, it's not affecting their health over a period. Okay. So you talked about, you know, the estrogen, progesterone balance or, uh, you know, that one can be high, the other can be low or the dominance factors too. On a week by week basis, does it make sense for, say, in a 28-day cycle, focus over the period of four weeks on a certain type of diet so that, you know, the estrogen is kept in balance and the progesterone during that time, the later part of the cycle, I believe, um, you know, we don't let it over dominate. Yeah, you can definitely work on that aspect of it, you know, in balancing those, the estrogen and progesterone, as you mentioned, the 28 day cycle to do it. So, which can be the first 10 days to be more on, you know, uh, peanuts and, you know, with mixed seeds and dates and figs and more on dry fruits and a lot of green leafy vegetables and then, you know, cottage cheese and cheese and stuff. So, I think that will help, you know, in having an uh, estrogen, which is being normally being there as a part of creating a healthy ovulation. Mm -hmm. The second half has to be more on steamed foods. It can be steamed sweet potato. It can be steamed potato or any form of steamed vegetables or beans, lentils, which will help them that kind of, you know, uh, the whole grains, particularly the the whole grain with the outer skin to have it on the later stage to give them a little bit more on balancing the progesterone to have a normal cycle. But having said this, I think uh, it is very practically difficult Mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, uh, do this on a kind of an every monthly cycle. You can do it for probably a month or so. But to put the girls into this rhythm is going to be a very, very challenging task. Or I would put it the other way around that it has to be a creative task. Mm -hmm. You need to come out with new, new ideas, new, new thoughts and new new palatable uh, solutions to give this to them on a weekly basis to have the desired benefit. So this is going to be each see some may like some girls may have the palate is very different, right? The tastes are very different because Mm -hmm. that I've seen in my practice where we worked on this actually in correcting, uh, you know, the the premenstrual tension. But then what happened was I think they all had their own strong preferences that time. Mm -hmm. So if at all their sweet tooth is not being addressed or they don't, I mean, the the choice of their food is not being kind of included, then I think they had more emotional issues and more, uh, you know, I think I would say, you know, uh, disturbances uh, than that making a positive impact on them. So I think we need to personalize that stuff depending on the girl, how and the palate she likes and the taste and the options to keep it a little more creative, simple, educate them parallelly. And then I think probably it is a long drawn process, but it is definitely doable. Okay. Again, you know, there is no one size fits all approach and, uh, you know, it has to be tailor made to the individual. And it's a question of the individual embracing that, whatever you're trying to do as well. So it's an education phase, like you said. And uh, what about soy products? You know, there's like so much talk about soy and hormones, right? So if you can also quickly touch upon how it impacts girls and when is the right time in the cycle to, 
you know, like safely consume soy products? And what are, what effect does it have on boys as well? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think um, the soy, of, as we all know, has a phytoestrogen component in it. So mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, it's now a lot of, uh, you know, papers, research works have come in. So here, how are we going to have the soy in which form? It can be in soy milk or it can be, you know, tofu or it can be soy kind of like the whole soy in the form of a steamed or boiled one or like salads or, you know, all those kind of few options which is available. Yeah, there's now, fermented soy like tempeh, miso tempeh, and all Yeah, tempeh, yeah, fermented. See, I think all that is there. But the problem is... Uh, in my at least here in India, I think we feel that and they don't take on well to the soy products, you know, because one, I think it doesn't taste great. It's an mm-hmm. acquired taste. It's not something which was existing in our traditional meal plan. It was mm-hmm. never there. You know, mm-hmm. it was never there. It's a new phenomena. It's probably brought from the Western world. It doesn't come from our Indian kind of, an, uh, you know, uh, phase, but yes. But here, I think if the girl is able to tolerate the soy, you know, then I think in moderation, you can introduce and see how she's responding. Mm-hmm. You know, it's again a trial with each child. As you said, one cannot fit all. It can You can start from the seventh day to the 14th day and see how. That's the phase which probably you know, is very crucial for the girls because next phase would be the ovulation stage. So this pre-ovulation stage can actually help in the ovulation process to set in in the right way. So I think we can try. There's nothing wrong in trying kind of, you know, whether it's a fermented soy or the milk or, you know, homemade soy milk or it can be, uh, you know, the tofu and salads and stuff. So all that can be definitely attempted. But the caution here is in case if there is a thyroid issue with girls, like it's very common here in India that one out of three do come with hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. You should definitely not consider giving them soy at all. Soy should be out of your dietary system if there is an hypothyroidism which is being detected because then it's going to affect the thyroid hormone. So that's one thing we need to be careful. Second thing is, there are some girls who come with excessive bloating following soy products you know, mm-hmm. because genetically it is not compatible. You're not being used to. So if there is such issue, then you need to replace with something else, maybe more on the seeds like pumpkin seeds or seed milk. You can actually mix seed and mix nuts. You know, actually that's something which we recommend, which is working wonders here is about the mixture of pumpkin seeds, melon seeds, you know, sunflower seeds, all that to be soaked along with flax seeds, with some cashews and almonds and all to be soaked. And then, of course, you can take milk out of it and then they can add some vanilla flavor or something and have it have it as a drink, you know. Okay, that can this be had um, irrespective of what stage of the cycle they are in, like across the four weeks? Yes, um, yes. Okay, yes, or yes. is one seed beneficial during the first half more than the other? I think this can be had throughout the cycle. In fact, they can have it throughout from the time the men, uh, the puberty is setting in because this has got a lot of vitamin E, which is very, very important in ovulation mm-hmm. you know, for a girl. And as you know, vitamin E is an antioxidant as well, you know, which stops the free radical formation. And the third part is, this is the stage is the growth spurt of the girl is coming in. Like, for example, skin glow or about healthy hair. You know, the overall, the feeling of good feeling mm-hmm. about herself comes this phase. So I think this is more like having a dose of good antioxidant from the right source of natural source in the form of nuts and seeds is definitely is going to help them in the process of this puberty. Okay, awesome. What about soy and boys? Yeah, I think to, from my side, it's a big no. I okay. think I would definitely not recommend soy for boys at all. Uh, but yes, you can opt for cottage cheese instead. 
but I think so is a big no because phytoestrogen, each one, see, of course, every boy will have a small portion of estrogen in them. Like how all girls will have a small portion of testosterone in them. But this can actually push or aggravate or increase the estrogen component in the boy over a period of time. It is being regular and being overused. So I think if it is used in caution and occasionally, which is okay as long as they don't have any other disruptions. But I think by and large, I would probably avoid prescribing it for boys. Okay. Okay. What about eating concerns, body image, and its relevance to whatever we have been talking? Because I think girls have become super conscious of what size clothes they fit into. So I think size zero has become the norm. So what about (laughs) the eating concerns and the body image? And of course, we cannot, uh, you know, stop without saying we need to focus on nutrition so they can't compromise that. So how does it all play together? Yeah, I think uh, great, uh, you know, it's a good question. So I think you need to, I think, work on developing a healthy relationship with food. You know, I think there's nothing diet or dietary prescription or nutrition prescription that's going to work. We need to help the children connect with food and develop a healthy relationship with food for them to make the right choices or the healthier choices. Any child, I mean, I'm sure even in our childhood, if there is ice cream and a bowl of fruits, I think is a natural instinct and we would have run to probably have a dig into an ice cream. Isn't it a normal phenomenon? Mm-hmm. So I think somewhere, I think it's important to teach them about moderation and balance and nothing is bad. Mm-hmm. I think in food, every food is good. Mm-hmm. Okay, how much one can have of what is what we need to educate the kids and give them that space or the rope to evolve. Otherwise, they're going to cheat on us for sure. It can Mm -hmm. be this extreme of not eating, going anorexic, or it can be eating junk and becoming overweight. You have these two spectrums in this age group of adolescent where you will see more on either overeating and junking, lack of physical exercise, sedentary lifestyle, or I see these days more common is being anorexic. So mm-hmm. anorexia is like the mother gives you the glass of milk. As soon as the mother leaves the room, the daughter pours it into the drain. So I think and tells the mother she had the milk. So the mother is thinking she had. I have one doctor friend. She's a gynecologist. Her daughter, she's around 14 years old. I think suddenly one day when she was cleaning the cupboard, she found packets of all those, the chips packet, the covers, the empty covers, you know, the chocolate wrappers, all that hidden and shoved. And she's an overweight child, you know, mm-hmm. behind. Because she didn't want anybody to know that she's eating junk on all those kind of stuff. So I think what I'm trying to uh, kind of, uh, you know, bring to the point here is develop and healthy, help children have a healthy relationship with food through being and healthy, giving a healthy environment at the table when all the family members are having a family meal. Mm-hmm. It cannot be like you drinking aerated drinks and putting a rule on the child to drink, you know, orange juice. Mm-hmm. It won't work until you join and drink the orange juice with the child from beginning. The child is not going to kind of eat healthy because books say so the, mm-hmm. the child is not going to follow any book to eat healthy it's about following examples following the environment in which a child is growing i mm-hmm. think that is what is to give them a long rope to know that what is right and what's wrong and you know end of the day whatever it may be whatever age we may be i think we always believe whatever the our mother gave us is the best food ever mm-hmm. i tell my clients you know they would ask me, can I eat chicken? Can I eat mutton uh, curry or whatever in non-vegetarian foods, which is a question sometimes when they come on diet, which happens. I just ask them one question. Did your mother feed you chicken? Then you should have it. 
Mm-hmm. If the mother fed you mutton, because most of the mothers wouldn't have, you know, it would be only twice a week. Mm-hmm. No mother would have given them the option of having, you know, chicken every day. Mm-hmm. It would be only twice a week, or those days it was only Sundays. It was mm-hmm. one day a week, you know. Mm-hmm. I think whatever the mother followed is two hundred percent the best for the child. I think here now for us, because of our, uh, you know, I think economic probably betterment. if i may say so which we have compared to the you know the last 20 25 years i think we have single children or child one single child or you know maximum two where we want to give them the best of foods and best of everything so we are willing to spend more and we want to satisfy the children and we think that you know that's the way to keep them happy so i think these kind of mental blocks and mental ideas and myths and ideas somewhere challenges your own upbringing you know mm-hmm. if i want to feel that you know i think uh, i want to give my son something better then i'm questioning my own upbringing probably i'm believing that it was not great mm-hmm. which i think is not the right thing to do my mother did the best for me and i probably with my little knowledge want to do something better for my son my own way that's about it but nothing wrong or there's no comparison between you know how this happened or that generation grew up so there is a common path that we need to understand okay okay perfect i think well said so everyone needs to focus on what is right um and just do the best uh, to keep themselves healthy i think those were great insights dr kausalya and thank you so much for taking the time to explain everything in detail to the listeners and we look forward to catching up with you again in the future and thank you so much for your time um and for being here on the show thank you uh vaidehi for having me in your show as well i completely enjoyed you know talking to you and this discussion was absolutely brilliant and your questions and everything has been well researched and well thought of thank you once again oh thank you so much thank you and uh, listeners as always follow the podcast and uh, follow me on instagram at yp kumar i'll definitely catch up with you again with another interesting guest and uh, yet another interesting topic until then it's your host why saying so long <laughs>